afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. We're broadcasting today from the York Ag Conference taking place at the Holdest Conference Center in York, Nebraska. Interesting day. No surprise. It's the WASDE report. That's what everybody has been talking about at this farm show. Uh, CPI numbers as well as to what we're seeing on the livestock side. Some surprising numbers there that even though it was red, it could have been a lot worse than what it was. Mike Zuzalo is joining us today. He's with Global Commodity Analytics. And, and Mike, let's start out with this WASDE report. When you look at the big picture, any surprises for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the big picture surprise for me at this point, Susan, is if you wanted to be short corn or wheat going into the WASDE report, especially corn, you don't have much fundamental supply-demand reason to be in that camp. And I think this is where... The, the lack of not losing demand in both the grain stocks report and the 22-23 U.S. ending stocks numbers was something that was very welcome because we came in with actually about, uh, what was it, 15 million bushels less in U.S. ending stocks of corn to just over 1.2 billion. And so we are very tight, and I'd say historically tight, on U.S. corn. Also, the wheat actually fell about 4 million bushels to 567 million. And I can tell you on some of the uh, research I do that uses some algorithms and, and some formulations, Susan, that over the course of the last 10 or 11 years, if you looked at the U.S. ending stocks against the soft red wheat futures price, this 570 level would suggest that you should be closer to like 980 or $10 in wheat futures on a lead month basis. And, and that really supports the idea of USDA coming in and continuing to keep you know the U.S. Uh, wheat average price elevated um, coming in today, I think right around $9. Let me double check that while we're on the phone. Yeah, coming in at staying the same at $9.10 a bushel average. So the surprise to me was you didn't get a demand bearish surprise and so i think it really puts on kind of uh, on notice the, the price negative mindset that that was building and building and building into a crescendo going into today's numbers well you know and i find it interesting too mike while we were here at this farm show and folks were looking at the numbers there was a lot of questions about this wheat number um wondering of those acres that are going to be planted how much of that is actually going to come out of dormancy this spring and could we possibly see some change-ups in those numbers down the road from the USDA. Yeah, I think we can. I think that's a really valid point, and I think it goes back to I'm not expecting a lot of changes in the soft red number because I think we all felt in the analytical world that the soft red number was going to be pretty high just because of how good their crops were last year. They're not in a historic drought right now. And while they had you know, pretty wild basis rides, for the most part, they were pretty happy with their per acre revenue. But you did see Kentucky jump 15% versus last year. Uh, and we've got uh, Ohio up 27%, Illinois up 45%, and Indiana up 55% in soft red wheat acres. And so that's going to take away from the row crops in some of these key states. I don't see those going down much at all because of the benefit of the soft red wheat, especially given the high nitrogen prices. Hard red wheat, though, I do feel like the Kansas number is pretty much spot on, up about 3% from last year. However, Nebraska up 13%. That seems a bit high to me, Susan. And Texas up 26%. That, too, seems high. And so I think the hard red wheat number could come down. But I think today... And when you look at those winter wheat seedings numbers, you could understand why the soft red 
was noticeably dragging against the spring wheat and against the hard red wheat because of the way those acreage numbers were split out between hard red and soft red in the country. What about when you look at these numbers from a global perspective? The, the big thing for the global number is, is that we don't have hardly any more ending stocks of wheat than we did last month at this time. And I think because the European wheat market, its futures in Paris were hitting close to 10, 11 month lows. We here in this uh, country in our futures markets were hitting anywhere from uh, five to 10 month lows as well. Um, you, you gotta wonder why were we breaking this market so hard, especially given the US weather pattern and the tight U.S. stocks. And what I told clients and subscribers before the report was, I think the reason we're breaking so hard in wheat is because this trade is worried about the world ending stocks. And that's why the European market continues to kind of pressure us here. So I think that's a big deal in the next couple, three days to see if that ends up being the case. Did you see any worries about Argentina and how dry they continue to be? Yes, but I do think that we got to be careful with Argentina and Brazil both because we are seeing a bit of a shift in the weather pattern. We're seeing some potential shift in the hard red wheat belt weather pattern as well. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I think we have factored in some real supportive um, lower production numbers now that the USDA numbers are out. So I was what I was surprised about real briefly about South America, Susan, was we saw USDA cut both Argentine and Brazilian corn whereas they actually raised Brazilian soybeans. So that was a twist to me, but it makes sense given that second safrina crop that uh, we've been really monitoring. What about the jump in Chinese soybean market? That one I did not see coming. Yeah, this is a real interesting dynamic because you got to wonder if it's justified. We've had the hog market go down in part because of pork cut out here, but also in part because of China and whether they're going to have a decent Chinese Lunar New Year um, I'm, I'm really kind of feeling like we're on a little bit of thin ice in the soybean complex once the January goes off the board here tomorrow, um, especially given those world-ending stocks jumping up to over 103 million metric tons. I was at a 103.5 area, and they came in at 103.2, so I'm a, I'm a bit nervous that we're going to see bigger ending stocks in the world in soybeans, and especially if those uh, drought issues start to get a little bit uh, over uh, overdone in terms of some rains coming in and the market having to reevaluate. All right, well, stick around, folks. We have a lot more coming up. We'll take a look at those CPI. We'll also talk livestock as well. It's a Fontenelle final bell on the Rural Radio Network. Hey, Tom, I see a Fontenelle sign there on your North 80. That corn looks pretty good. Well, yeah, my neighbors had good luck with Fontenelle, so I decided to give it a try. They've been around for quite a while? Well, sure have. In the last three seasons, Fontenelle's 15 top-yielding corn products had over a nine-bushel advantage over Pioneer's commercially available leading volume corn products. Wow, that's impressive. I'm thinking I might add some Fontenelle to my farm. Well, just contact your local dealer or go to Fontenelle.com if you want more information. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Again, we're broadcasting today from the York Ag Conference taking place in York, Nebraska. And continue to look at these markets with Mike Zuzalo. Mike is with Global Commodity Analytics. And, and Mike, we left off uh, talking about the WASI report. Any final thoughts on those numbers that came out today? Yeah, I think the big thing that I'm going to be watching and, and writing about here in the next couple of days is we had consumer price index numbers as well come out today, Susan. And they really did help support the idea that the trade is 
feeling better about Asia and they're feeling better about the Federal Reserve. And we've seen the U.S. dollar hit a major support that's drawn off its 2021 lows. And we've also seen the uh, crude oil market go up to near $80 a barrel. That's right up against a resistance level drawn off the 2022 highs. And so if we could see a little bit more movement in those two different directions between those two assets, we might bring in a little bit more commodity buying. And that would kind of make me pause and hit the pause button on, on recommending more hedges for soybeans for both 22 and 23. But my next step with clients and subscribers is to do some more hedging in the 22 and 23 soybeans here probably by the end of the month. Another report that we saw come out. Let's talk a little bit about CPI and, and what that's all entailing for us. Yeah, and that was a number that I think the trade, you know, we again, it's kind of like the Chinese uh, situation with the COVID and, and their Lunar New Year and their actual demand, their actual consumption. We're starting to turn back towards the mindset that China's going to really grow because the government's going to stimulate, but we don't really have anything under, underneath as far as actual demand. I'd say the same thing about the CPI data because it didn't show as big of a growth in inflation at 6.5% year over year. That was the smallest increase since October of 2021. And that, that I think that gave the trade the mindset that, well, the Fed can kind of take a breather. I'd be careful about that because it's still elevated. And with this Asian market rally and, the, and some of these big uh, indices in Hong Kong and in Asia hitting near six-month highs, I think the Fed may remain hawkish this next month and maybe not want to get neutral until March. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I'll let the charts tell me what to do. All right. We're going to jump over to the livestock side. I definitely saw the red on the screen today, but it could have been a lot worse, Mike, than what we saw. Yeah, it really could have. And I was impressed with the you know 2.5% rise in the corn market, that feeder corn ratio um, sitting at about 15.2 feeders, 15.2 uh, times higher in price than the lead month corn. Um, that number is right up against the support line as well, support line drawn off the 2022 lows. So I was impressed with the feeders. I'm wondering whether this winter weather coming in that the models are starting to show another pretty significant winter snowstorm more associated with the Kansas-Nebraska border and also all the way up into the Dakotas again. I'm wondering if we're not starting to look at that in the cattle market and trying to keep the uh, futures market underpinned until we know more about that. But still pretty impressive that these feeders were able to hold on in a trade today where corn was trading like it was. I, I couldn't agree more, Susan, especially with the, the hogs continuing their slide and the weekly export sales weren't that bad in the pork. And so it really is a, a significant issue to be down at a low of 77.57 in the uh, February hogs because now the fat cattle have lost their support in the hog complex. And we've got the Feb fats against the feb hogs getting dangerously close to 80 dollars premium so to me that means the cattle really need the support of the feeders and as long as we can stay above 180 in that january feeder contract and, and 180 as well as we go into the march as lead month futures I'll, I'll feel okay but 180 close below in feeders breaks through a pretty significant trend line support on the monthly chart and, and if you notice today's conversation, well, no matter what we've been talking about, whether it's crude or feeders or wheat, and there's trend lines and there's triangles and wedges in many, many charts right now. So it feels like and it looks like on the charts something is going to have to give, whether it's to the upside or whether it's to the downside. So I'd be extra vigilant and, and checking in with your market analyst a lot more frequently uh, if you're working with anybody right now. So who's going to cave first when it comes to cash cattle trade? 
I, I really think that the the cattle rancher and 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 the and the seller is going to cave. I say that because we're all geared up for a 14-15 price rally. But I'll say it again: we were at one thirty hogs back then during that time period, and three sixty corn. And until I see something like that dynamic, I'm just not going to go after the idea that we can get all the way up to the fourteen fifteen highs. We're already eating into the spring fifteen levels right now. So I, I, I'd say take some profit and then reevaluate. At least get your February, maybe some of your April marketing's covered and then reevaluate mid-year and see if we can reach those highs you won't have to give up too much i don't think lots of great things that we talked about today and you brought up a very good point and that's keeping that line of communication open with your commodity broker so having said that mike what's the best way folks can reach out to you well you know i normally say globalcomresearch.com is the best way with the free trial globalcom with two m's research.com but susan i've had a lot more calls uh, come in when I when I bring in the toll-free number. So 866-471-2588. Call me after the close and let me know what you're thinking, and I'll be happy to sit down with you or just talk to you on the phone. All right. Thanks so much. Mike Zuzel has been joining us today. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve a substantial risk of loss not suitable to all investors. And that's the Fontenelle Final Bell, brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers on the Rural Radio Network.